Please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Ruth 3, Ruth chapter 3. That is the book in the Bible directly after Judges, Ruth 3. We'll be reading the entirety of this chapter here. So please remain standing if you are able. Ruth 3, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Then he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for... All my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went into the city, and when he came to her mother-in-law, she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. In Ruth so far, we've met our characters, our main characters. That is, we've met Ruth, we've met Naomi, and we've met Boaz. And we've been made aware of their circumstances. Ruth and Naomi came to Israel empty and destitute. And Boaz is a single man in possession of a good fortune. And it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. By God's appointed chance... Ruth then just so happens to enter into the barley field, which Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, owns. 
While the barley harvest continues, their love grows between the lines of Ruth 2 and 3, so that we now come to Naomi's dastardly plan to unite the two in marriage, that Ruth might have rest. As we go to the first section, verses 1 through 5, the foolishness of Naomi trying to find rest and love for Ruth. This dastardly plan of the mischievous, self-styled, well-meaning matchmaker, Naomi, so common even today with older ladies, is not all bad. Actually, it's mostly good. But Naomi is really putting Ruth and Boaz into a very awkward and improper place through this plan, at least in the context. But God, the greatest and first romantic comedy writer, turns all of this to good. Naomi and her plan for Ruth has many good points. Let me quickly give you some of those. First, it's from a heart of love towards Ruth. She says, my daughter, in verse 1, and says as well, it's for a good purpose, with a good object, rest, verse 1 as well. And lastly, and possibly most importantly, it is an incredibly bold plan. This bold plan aims for a good thing, which is even called in this text, verse 1, rest, that is, marriage. Not only is marriage restful for a protection and provision of food, yes, as was necessary for everyone, but also the giving of love, both to husband and from husband to wife. Marriage is rest and is only not rest when sin and foolishness are present or when husband or wife are sinful or foolish. Therefore, Naomi doesn't just seek anyone. She doesn't seek just someone from Boaz's young men, but Boaz himself, the wise man. That is, Naomi might be foolish in her plan, but her seriousness in choosing is commendable. She doesn't choose a man for Ruth based upon looks or upon age. She chooses a man of quality. This does not necessarily mean a man who is rich, but women ought to be looking for a man who is able to provide for his family, if at all possible, and do the duties of a husband to a wife. And this Ruth does. She finds someone worthy. Boaz has been shown to be a man of quality, a man who works hard to provide not only for himself, but even for his own workers who respect him, and the poor, like Ruth, who were just lately in his field. Throughout this narrative, we see this. It's not that Boaz is rich that makes him worthy. It's that he's rich in grace and mercy and love, that Naomi pursues him for Ruth. And this is an obvious thing in verse 18 as well. Ruth loves him. Her heart does not rest until she is with her beloved. This is true both for the man and for the woman in this text and should be in marriage and why marriage is here rightly called rest. But Boaz is not at rest. He's been working hard in the barley fields and winnowing the barley on the threshing floor, as we see in verses 2 and 3. Boaz is a man who works hard so that Naomi knows to find him at the threshing floor, doing hard work, the hard work of flailing the barley and separating the kernel from the husk in threshing. Boaz is not at his home relaxing, as some rich men may do. On the contrary, he's working, and also working with his people, and generously, as well, giving away the produce of his work. Boaz is having a party at the end of the barley harvest, as was very, very common. You see this 
in uh, Scripture all the time. One would be uh, Nabal in 1 Samuel 25. He had a celebration after the sheep shearing. These kinds of things happened in agricultural times. So Boaz has a feast after the hard work of the barley harvest, and all the processing of the barley is finished, especially after such a long famine as Israel has had, it is a wonderful thing to rejoice in that we had a good barley harvest. And shows as well just how generous he is to give away this first barley harvest even to his workers. We can assume Ruth was invited to this feast and, much to her credit, Boaz ate and drank with the general party of his people. And here at this party lies the dastardly plan Again, of Naomi. It is here that she tries to make her alluring and catch him while he's weak. Naomi says this in verses 3 through 4, and Ruth agrees to this in verse 5. And thank God that there were two weaknesses to this plan. And first, that first weakness is the wisdom of Ruth, and second, the wisdom of Boaz himself. Let's turn from the foolishness of Naomi to the other two characters in this story, Ruth and Boaz. The wisdom of Ruth and Boaz, especially in verses 6 through 9. So the wisdom of Ruth. In verse 6 begins the execution of Naomi's plan to catch Boaz and give Ruth rest in marriage. At first glance, it may seem like Boaz ate and drank a little too much at this feast. And the text says in verse 7, And Boaz ate and he drank and he was good in his heart. Still, the word here is uh, translated Mary in the ESV, is good. It's not that he was drunk. It says he was good in his heart. Certainly, he was enjoying himself, and probably with some alcoholic beverages, so that his heart was merry. There is no sin in this, nor should we think that. We have places like Psalm 104, 15, saying, Wine gladdens the heart of a man. What's happening with Boaz is not drunkenness, which is a sin. Boaz is just having a good time. His heart was not drunk. It was good. And it was good because God had given him so many blessings and gifts. Let us be as wise as, as Boaz in our use of God's good gifts, even alcohol, and rejoice in the gifts that he gives us with others with a good heart. But God was so good to him that he did not stop rejoicing for a good long time. Boaz even falls asleep on a heap of barley. There's nothing wrong with this either. It's like someone falling asleep at his desk after a work party. This, too, is God's providence, God's stamp of approval for Ruth. This crazy plan does not work without Boaz going to a secluded place to sleep. He goes to bed because it's late. And there is more work to be done in the morning, and he's already there. So when he wakes up, he'll be ready to work. And remember, we're in chaotic times. This is the chaotic times of the judges. It would be dangerous to go home after dark. So he rests in his barn. And now we see how Ruth uses the plan of Naomi. She, as we see in verses 7 and 8, secretly comes to him while he's sleeping and uncovers his feet. Promiscuity was common during these pagan feasts. We need only look at Judah's stupidity in Genesis 38 after the sheep shearing to find this. It's very common. However, 
What Ruth does here isn't a request for anything untoward for a young woman. This is a request for marriage, a request for redemption. Yes, it's certainly strange for it to happen at night, after a party, secretly, as a man sleeps. The dastardly plan of Naomi isn't dastardly in the events she planned, but in the context she planned it in, which makes it quite awkward for these two. So we should see, shouldn't see anything wrong with what Ruth and Boaz do here. Ruth uncovering Boaz's feet isn't taking his sandals off. It's just folding back his long garment, his long outer cloak that at this time was used, as, uh, used in two different ways, as a long outer cloak and as a blanket, which many ancient uh, societies still do. The best explanation for this custom is actually in our text. Boaz's exposed feet get cold, and when he twists himself to put his cloak over his feet, he's startled to find a woman awake at his feet. The first part of the plan is complete. Make Boaz cold and wake him up and find Ruth awake at his feet. It's a very strange plan. But in verse 9, Ruth immediately answers Boaz's question about who she is with the reason she uncovered his feet and her petition. I am Ruth, your female servant. Spread your wings upon your female servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth is asking Boaz to cover her with his protection, his garment, his love, through the symbolic action of covering her with the corner of his garment. And why? She gives the reason. Because you are a redeemer. Ruth is asking for Boaz to do the duty which a next of kin at this time had to redeem her. This is the form of a request of marriage, as we see in Ezekiel 16.8, and we see that very clearly there. But Ruth uses it not merely as a request for marriage, but as a request for redemption. This is partly why she is so wise. Ruth wants to be married, that's true, but she is not looking out for herself alone in this. Ruth wants to bless her mother-in-law, Naomi as well. The kinsman redeemer was the next of kin for the clan. It was a legal and cultural bond and requirement. If someone had become destitute, then it was the next of kin's job, the redeemer's job, to not let their property fall into the hands of anybody, but to bring it back into the family. The next of kin also had to bring back those who sold themselves into slavery, if they could. The whole point of the kinsman redeemer was to save their relatives from their bad choices. We see this and the reason for this, especially in Leviticus 25.6. God owns the land. We see this in Leviticus 25. And he loves his people. So he instituted the kinsman redeemer. Why? Verse 6 of Leviticus gives us, Leviticus 25, of course, gives us this. That his name, that is the dead man's name, may not be blotted out. In Israel. So, how does Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, take all of this? He's alone with a woman he loves on a cold night, and she just petitioned him to be her redeemer. What is a man of quality to do in such an awkward, compromising position? Let's go to the wisdom of Boaz. Instead of casting her out, which a Pharisee may have done, Boaz is merciful to her. He thinks of her position and not merely his own position. Instead of 
Merely being a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, it is Boaz who offers not only to be a kinsman redeemer, but to marry her if he can. So we see in verses 10 through 12. See how he commends her for not going after the young men. Those are not the words of a kinsman redeemer, a legal term, but the words of a fiancé. They must have known one another well, and he showed his own care, love, and interest. But it was this urging of Ruth that finally crystallized his own intentions. Sometimes a man might need a little push. But it was not the urging of Ruth or the mischievous planning of Naomi that made Boaz endeavor to marry Ruth. No, at base, it was because Ruth was a Proverbs 31 woman. In fact, in the Hebrew canon, this book comes straight after Proverbs 31. So that the question of Proverbs 31, which is an excellent wife who can find, is answered here in this book, Ruth. You may see Ruth in Proverbs 31. Boaz does. Yes, he married her because he loved her, calling her gently in the Hebrew way, my daughter. Yes, he had a duty towards her as a near relation, and he had a, a he, was, he knew that she was a worthy woman, as we see here in verse 10 and verse 11. He knew all these things. More importantly, that is what the case, that you are blessed by Yahweh. You have done well. She had covenant faithfulness from the beginning to the end. She, too, valued character more than looks, and Boaz valued character. She did not argue her own character, but her character and virtues argued for themselves. As we see in verse 11, the elders knew her. They called her a woman of virtue. And finally, she was loving and generous to her own family, even the often foolish Naomi. Brothers, in other words, Boaz was not seeking marriage because Ruth was hot. He certainly wasn't intending to marry her because she was wealthy or had good connections. Ruth actually was destitute and had a foolish mother-in-law, and she was even lately of the hated country of Moab. He was marrying her because she was a woman of the Lord, a woman of faith, of great faith, first and foremost. This is what is truly beautiful to Christian men. Young men, you ought to know this. Not to live upon it. Husbands, remember it and praise or help your wife accordingly. Also, he overlooked what seemed like a very foolish plan from Naomi. Getting a man alone with a woman at night, you know, though he couldn't do very much for her, he even provided for her own honor in the short term. Instead of telling her to leave and go to the dangerous road back to her shack in the middle of the night, He asked her to stay safe and warm in the barn with him that night. That is, Boaz is a merciful person to Ruth. And considering their position, that is a tender thing to do. And shows not only his protection, but his desire to love her. As this is an extreme position, we shouldn't do anything like this if we can help it. However, this might actually be their last night together. If he was wanting to keep his good name and he did not love her, he would have sent her away immediately. But he doesn't. She stays. He enjoys her company, and he wants to be merciful to her and keep her good name as well. But because there is a next nearer of kin, he cannot promise marriage here in Ruth 3. 
The future is uncertain for their marriage, but their love for one another is quite obvious. And in the morning, Boaz provides more than just mercy. He gives grace to Ruth and Naomi, showing not only his provision for her, but also a kind of dowry, a promise of marriage obvious to Naomi, if you get beyond the legal problems, that is. And he gave her not a little, but six measures, as much as she could carry. This was a wise, merciful, and generous man. Truly a man of the Lord. But could he give the rest that Naomi sought for Ruth? Boaz even answers no to this question in our text. Could Ruth supply true rest and blessing? As we go to our third section, verses 10 through 18, the loving rest of God, of God's beloved Son through Christ, our Redeemer. The parallels with Christ here with Boaz are obvious and pervasive. The rest for which women and men seek after in a spouse is only found in Christ. Marry every woman that you like, men. Marry any man that you like, women. Even the most quality among them will not satisfy you utterly. If you place all your rest upon a mere man, wives, not only will you crush him, but you will never have rest This is the case for any mere human attempting to rest in any other human being. It's like a woman panicking while drowning. If you seek ultimate rest upon your spouse, then you will drown him and yourself as well. The wisdom of Boaz and Ruth is that they never forgot God as their ultimate rest and redeemer in this time of joy. Boaz says, first, first, Brothers and sisters, who in the world says this first after a marriage proposal? May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Boaz recognizes that he cannot bless Ruth unless that blessing be from the Lord God himself. But Boaz and Ruth don't therefore stop the process of marriage. No, they hasten to it, knowing they love one another and are anxious to be with their beloved as we ought to be with ours. The point is this, unless we find rest, ultimate rest in Christ, then even the rest of loving marriage will not be a blessing. How do we find rest, brothers and sisters? Marriage is restful, yes, but it is not rest itself. Marriage is loving, but it is not love itself, nor does your marriage with your spouse last forever. In fact, rest is so identical with blessing in Scripture. Let us hear of how God explains the deepest torture of hell. He says this in Revelation 14, 11. They have no rest day or night. And see how God explains the blessedness of those who die in Christ two verses later. Blessed indeed are the dead who die in the Lord that they may find rest from their labors. What is this Sabbath day that we are in now, this day, but a rest unto the love of our God? And there is a Sabbath rest that is still to come, says Hebrews 4. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that rest of an eternal enjoying of Christ, our husband. And here's a question for you. Was it... Human marriage, love, that, like that of Ruth and Boaz, that came first? 
Or was Christ's love for his bride, the church, first? Ephesians 5 tells us, and it's very profound, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. Human marriage was not first. Christ's love for his elect was first. Human marriage was to show God's love and the rest in that love for his covenant people before and after sin. The rest which Ruth, Boaz, and all women and men experience in this marriage covenant is that the love of Christ might be shown for his covenant people all around us as we show it in our marriages. The greatest marriage and the greatest of all marriages, the greatest rest, does not compare with the greatness of Christ's love for his church and the rest which he purchased by his blood. Christ is the point of marriage and the point of this marriage between Ruth and Boaz, especially. No bride price was too steep for Christ, our kinsman redeemer. He humbled himself, even taking the form of servant, suffering for decades and then eternity upon the cross, taking away, like Boaz, every barrier of our sin and shame to marriage to his beloved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So loved. He sought us, he bought us, and he continues to seek us to bring us to that heavenly rest. Let us have faith in him that we might be united to him in the bonds of eternal rest and love. He has extended his wedding invitation to us. Let us be his through faith in his finished work, through his purchasing of us with his blood. And if we are his, then let us be sure of the undying, unconditional, and overwhelming nature of his love for his elect, those of faith, the chosen bride, his church, that he would stop at nothing to be wed to us. What can overcome such joy, such love, to showcase Christ's love for his own church and the everlasting loving rest which he purchased for his beloved bride and the purpose is the purpose of Ruth 3, to showcase Christ's love. Or as Paul has asked before, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, or as is asked in Ruth, shall foolishness, foreignness, destitution, destruction, barrenness, sin, or impropriety, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This day, this Sabbath, is to rejoice in that love of Christ, your husband. This sacrament that we are to have, the Lord's Supper, is a token of the rest of Christ, a token of the marriage feast of the Lamb that is to come. Do we wait with excitement for his coming? Do we eat this meal in excitement? Do we eat this meal knowing we have it with our beloved, as he has 
excitement to be with us in heaven. It not only prepares us a place of rest to be beside him, but just as Boaz did not rest and will not rest to bring us into his loving rest until our salvation is revealed until the last day, he works for us and for our good, for our blessing, for our rest, for us, his bride. May our Lord come quickly. Let us go to him in prayer. O Christ, our Lord, our God, we are your church, your bride, and we call upon you and you alone for rest. Your love is our rest, and we await with eager longing to the revelation of our Lord before our eyes. Come to us soon. Thank you for taking away our guilt and our shame through your work on earth and giving us rest through your offering You have proven your love without a doubt in your atoning work. Allow us to love you with our whole heart, submit to you, and not doubt your love in everything. Loving our wives, if husbands, submitting to our husbands, if wives. But always and ever looking to you for rest. Make us married and single. Find our rest in you, our Lord. Give you our love, submission, and respect. And we pray, Lord, you might create in us more faith, more desire for you, more care for what you care for, more mercy and grace as Boaz shows us. Give us the love for the destitute which you have for us. Just as we have been loved in our sinful destitution, make us to praise you, our God, our King, our husband, until we fully enter that rest, your rest. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.